What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the FitShip Podcast. Today's podcast, I'm very excited to have back a guest, Mark Tominick, the owner of Tominick Trained. And if you guys don't know who he is, I would highly encourage you to follow him and pay attention here. Um, I, I asked him to come on today to talk a lot about cultivating a community that is authentic and true to itself, that is not afraid to say, I don't know, and always has your best interest at heart, right? When I think about coaches that I strive to be and look up to, it's not the big wigs that are talking down on their Instagram stories about what your coach should or shouldn't be doing. Um, it's people that are mission-driven to providing a high-quality service and look out for the best interest of their athletes regardless of whether they get recognition of that or not. So today we're going to dive into a conversation about how he built his, his team, his roster, and has gotten to be respected now in the industry. But I promise you, this has not always been the case. So Mark, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to dive into this topic because this is something that's probably come across my desk in my mind a lot. And I kind of thought about talking about it on my podcast. I just didn't know how to approach it. Um, because I feel like what we're going to talk about is so prevalent and it seems to be like almost a regular thing. Like people are putting other people down to get ahead. Right. Um, you know, I think it was Drake that said, you can't burn bridges to light your own way. Yes. And that shit sticks with me because I'm like, okay, if the way ahead is through lifting people, other others up. Right. And that's where success lies. And, and a great example of that is like, if you're successful, but the rest of the people around you aren't successful, then what's the point of success, right? Just being rich by yourself, it's not fun, you know? So you have to lift others up around you. You know, what's your, what's your team doing? You're, you're doing great. What's your team doing, you know? And I just feel like people are just pushing other people down. It's like, uh, kind of reminds me if you were drowning in the ocean, you started just stepping on other people to save yourself. Like, could you live with yourself, you know? And that's what some of these coaches, it seems like they're doing. And they're burning friendships, they're burning personal relationships, um, they're burning, um, you know, athlete relationships uh, and employee relationships. And I just don't know how you could sustain that. And so when I created my company, it was, I have to do things the right way. And what's the right way? I, well, the most morally correct. Okay, well, who determines what's morally correct? I was like, well, me, I get to determine that. I get to make sure that I set a precedence that there is going to be a bottom line of here's things that I will tolerate and here's things that I will not tolerate. And when you do that and you do things the right way, it doesn't always happen that quickly. Um, you know, a lot of people have succeeded on the get rich quick scheme and, but it, that, that burns out. I wanted to create something sustainable um, that was sustainable long-term that was going to benefit a lot of people. And in order to do that, you have to spend years literally cultivating a platform, um, a launch pad, so to speak. And that takes time. That takes a lot of effort. And it's, it's scary because if you do things the right way, right, there's a lot of people doing things the wrong way. And you start to think a lot of times, you know, am I going to get ahead this way? Is this how I'm going to end up out on top? You know, I want to be the best coach in the world. And I said that on my last podcast episode. It's the goal I have. Uh, and in order to do that, I have to do it the right way or else it means nothing. I could win. I could create a ton of IFPB pros and still wouldn't mean I'm successful or the best coach in the world. I want to talk about that, that point right there, right? I think one of the hardest things and one thing I love, and I know that you do this too, when, when an athlete applies and you open their pictures, there are a lot of top coaches that will be like, I'm not even looking at this because you're not already national level. You're not already on the cusp of being a pro, right? There are a lot of 
quote unquote, top level coaches that are really good at fine tuning. And that's an excellent skill to have, right? That is something you need to master once you have pros and you work with them. But there are not a lot of people that can take someone who doesn't even have confidence in their ability to do anything when it comes to weightlifting or nutrition or any of that and see the potential in that person and help them build that and cultivate that within themselves, right? That takes years of putting in equity with someone who most coaches wouldn't even pay attention to. And that's something that I absolutely love doing, but it's, it's hard to do. And, yeah. and when people look at your athletes and they're like, oh, well, they're not this. Well, no, I didn't go to a show and poach somebody backstage from working with coach X, Y, or Z, right. To get them on my roster. And I know that, you know, that's something that's been happening, I know that, again, we talk about, you know, social media and kind of marketing now is almost like if your coach is doing this, they're fucking incompetent or X, Y, or Z, like you should not be doing this, like in kind of a condescending way, instead of just providing help, providing insight, providing education. And like, when I watch that type of story versus the same question could be asked on your platform for whatever it is. And if you don't know, number one, you, you don't even market yourself. When people ask you about coaches, you're not like anyone on, on Dominic train, like just them, that's it. You'll, you will literally talk about other good coaches in the industry that are not top name, but are doing good things. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I don't, I don't see that from you. And I just, I wonder how much hate you get right in the back and behind the scenes. But I also know, you know, some of those quote unquote top level coaches and that you mentioned this before we started recording, like you've had some other athletes come your way because what they say and what they preach and what they share on social media is not the quality of the service that they actually provide. There's a disparity. There's a disparity. And again, this is not me. You know, I, I, what I don't want, what I didn't want to happen when I started coaching um, I didn't want to provide this great service and then put other coaches out of business. That was never been my goal. My goal was to raise the standard of coaching and the way people care for their athletes, period. That would require, though, other people adapting and growing. Some people are unwilling to do that. Some people grew so much, so much, they forgot where they came from and what built their business in the first place. And they forgot those, those the, the, the basic skills and the foundation of caring for people. That you, that's what we're doing as coaches. We're caring for people. Take all the wins away. What do you got? You got a bunch of people that don't like you, that that can't trust in you, you that can't rely on you, depend have on you. Have a bunch of health problems as a or consequence a, to your protocols. Right, right, or have a bunch of health problems. You know, first the first part of coaching is is caring for people, and that doesn't always mean you know doing what's right in terms of programming what's best for them. Sometimes it's just what's best for the person so they can succeed long term. But I think a lot of people have neglected that, that first rule that's caring for people. And so, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I do get a lot of shit and I think I get a lot of shit um, behind my back, obviously not to my, not to my face and don't care. I don't, I don't know if they would talk shit to my face. I don't know. I don't care. But what I do get shit for is that they're like, why aren't you producing a ton of IFBB pros left and right? If you're so good, good question. That's great. Well, let me tell you 80% of my roster have never competed before or competed in their prospective division that they're in now. That means I'm starting from scratch. Sometimes that takes, you were right, years to invest equity in that person and cultivate takes fucking years. Let me tell you, I've had people on the roster for three years that haven't touched the stage yet. When they do touch the stage, don't stand next to them. They might be first time rookies, but I'm telling you right now, they're going to be good. They're going to be good when it's time to be good. 
I'm not going to push them on stage, you know, prematurely. I'm not going to put people on stage by forcing a ton of drugs into people. I'm not going to do it. If we have to grow, we're going to grow. Yeah, we're going to use PEDs where necessary, but we're going to do it conservatively. So, you know, I, I have actually even this year, right? I have my first few people that I go on stage this year have never competed before in their knockouts. And if you're not, you're probably not watching the live right now or the video, but I can tell you just looking at Mark talk about this, these athletes this year, immediately massive smiles on his face, Mm -hmm. right? Because at the end of the day, when you start with an athlete from scratch, who doesn't even see their own potential yet, and you watch it come to life in real fucking time, when that athlete step on steps on stage for the first time, you don't just think about that moment. You think about the years of hard work and silence that they've put in to be able to respect the sport enough to do their due diligence, not to rush that process and to buy in to what they're doing at at his, on his team. Like, I think that's incredible. You know, a lot of bigger coaches won't even take first time athletes. And I think, I think they're missing out on something really special because there's, there's a, there's a certain thing that happens when you put an athlete on stage for the first time after years of hard work and you watch their face light up and you're like, Whoa, that's the, I didn't even know that person existed until they stepped under the lights and they came to life. And there was, there was two people specifically that stuck out. Actually there's, I can't even say two. There was just two in November that stick out alone. Um, it was Sam and Haley. I put them on stage and they lit up and it was like, holy shit, these, these are naturals and they've never competed before. They nailed it. Uh, Haley won her overall, you know, in the Virginia state show, Sam, she took multiple first place in her wellness show second in the, in the, uh, in her, I think it was an overall. So I think there was only one class or, you know, Juliano, she wins the overall in wellness. Sabriana wins the overall in wellness. And it's their first time stepping up on stage in their perspective divisions. And you put in a ton of work with them. They put in a lot of trust into you to get them there. And then they're successful. And you know, as a coach, you did everything right. You didn't break any of your ethical or moral guidelines or, or, you know, boundaries. You did all the right shit. And that is more rewarding to me than breaking my morals and my ethics and putting someone on stage and getting a pro card. You know, the pro cards will come. I'm not worried about that. I've already put someone on a pro stage. They took second on their, on their pro debut. I'm not worried about it. It's going to come. I can produce the results. And it's funny because uh, my Cameron, one of my friends, he says, you're, you're one genetic freak away from becoming one of the biggest coaches in the industry. That is so true. That is, and a- I, was, I was like, fuck, you're right. Cause that's well, what it you, If you think about the top level coaches, it's not that they started with amateurs that had never competed before is they got a genetic anomaly and they molded them. Here's what I always say to people, right? An incredibly genetic, genetically uh, gifted athlete will progress in the sport regardless of the standard of coaching that they're with, yes. right? It doesn't take an excellent coach to take an incredible athlete and, and get them to that. But it takes an incredible coach to take an amateur athlete with no genetic skill, like no genetic gifts at all and mold them into something special, right? It takes a team effort. That's where the hard work is put in. That's the art of coaching. It's not taking someone who's genetically gifted and just kind of enhancing them and tweaking a couple of things. Sure. Like that's, like I said, those skills are still important at the top level. Like you need to have an eye for the small things, Yes. but if you can work backwards and start with someone who doesn't even, if you were to look at them on the street, you would not be like, that's an IFBB pro and mold them down that path to stepping on stage, to winning their class, to winning overalls, to getting to the national stage, to making that first call out, to getting that overall, to getting that pro card, right? That process is, is 
going to be for me undeniable, like what much more rewarding. And I sign up for that relative to taking someone who's already there and just needs some fine tuning. And that's okay. Right. There's, we all have a lane. We all live in a lane. Some coaches don't want to do that. I respect that. I'm not shitting on any coach like that, but I can tell you for me. And I think Mark feels the same way. Like when it comes to your company, your core, core values, the things that you enjoy as a coach, I love the process. I fucking love it for myself. I love it for my clients. I love it for the lifestyle clients that don't even see it. And all of a sudden two years, they've been working with me and they're like, I kind of want to compete. I have this itch, you know, and they've built it. And it's, that's the fun part. And then you get the, they, you watch them on stage and they light up and you light up. Cause you're like, Holy shit. They've been working for this for so long, regardless of exactly how they place, right. You know, where they started and how far they've come. And I think that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I even, I love the process of check-ins. We were just talking about this before. And I, I actually love check-ins and some, some days are harder than others. And today was a hard day of check-ins because it was a lot of changes, programming adjustments that all happened at once. And that's okay. But a lot of times I'm, I'm literally drenched while I'm doing check-ins because my adrenaline is freaking pumping as I'm doing check-ins and there's no one else in the room with me besides my dog, (laughs) but I'm hyped. I'll stand up out of my chair and I'm literally shouting at my computer. At some points I catch myself. I'm like, man, I'm a dork. Like I got to cool it. (laughs) This is too much, but I just, I love what I do. And there's people that, you know, I get excited for that have, like I said, 80% of my roster never competed before in their, in their divisions. And I'm watching them progress and I'm more excited than someone winning a class. Because sometimes it's just the athlete is becoming an athlete. And that means they're checking the boxes. They're learning how to do the things and they're just they're loving the process, right? That's, that's where the love has to fall. The love of, of competing and the end result. I don't know. I think that's a, a poor attachment to an idea that's unfulfilling, you know, cause there's less depth to that. And I think that's where, unfortunately the sport starts to get a bad name and it's not the sport in itself. It's the people that chose to do it for the wrong reasons for the outcome and for the validation and whether it's an internal validation that they're seeking or, or whatever it might be, honestly, the vanity of the sport, I don't, I'm not sure, but for me, it's, it's, that's why I'm in no rush to compete. Like, that's why I think it's important to fall in love with the process, like hitting PRs, getting stronger, like dropping your ego in the gym and realizing your form fucking sucked. And that's why you're not seeing progress, right? Your muscle activation and mechanics are terrible, right? And being able to humble yourself and, and realize that the reward is in investing in that process without a deadline, without a timeline. If you can do that, if you can really embrace that where it fucking sucks and it's monotonous and it's boring and there's no one sitting here cheering for you, there's no lights on you. And at the end of the day, nobody gives a fuck what you're doing, but you and your coach, if you can buy in and get excited by that, I can promise you, you're going to be in the sport a lot longer than those who go, oh, I've never, I've never lifted a weight, but I'm a, I want to do this bikini prep thing. Let's, let's do it. And that's half the time when I lose people on consults is like, we're not ready to do that. First of all, you've tried every diet under the sun. And this is just another quick fix for you when you don't even have the training age and background to ensure that you're going to be successful in this. Yeah, that's, that's a tough point to kind of articulate to people. Um, because I think we, we are so, um, focused on the end result, right? The reward, the big shiny object, and I think that everyone falls victim to that. I know I've, I've fallen victim to that before. Um, but what is really important, like you mentioned, is just the process of bodybuilding is incredible or the process of just becoming better and reaching a physique goal. 
that's what you have to love. And that's so hard to love. And I've seen people with a lot of genetic potential actually never make it to the stage because they never allowed themselves and gave them the time to get to the stage, to be their best. And instead just created this like stress in their mind about the expectations of where they should be and what they should be accomplishing now, instead of understanding what needs to happen first in the box they need to check before getting to that point. So I've, I've seen great athletes crumble because they're so in love with the, the end result, not the process. Whereas I have people that have been off season for years, loving the process. And they're still as happy day, you know, day, whatever, 1000 as they were day one when they started with me. Those people are the ones that are successful. Yeah. And it's, it's also one of those things where contest prep is not that fun. Like if you can't be resilient and overcome adversity, if you haven't established boundaries and a solid foundation to be able to build upon, if you don't have good coping mechanisms, if you don't handle stress well, right. If you don't have those foundational and fundamental tools in your toolbox mastered everything in prep. And I tell this to every client that wants to do it, like everything becomes amplified. That bowl of oatmeal that boiled over in the microwave when you're eating good is not as big of a deal when, when you're on fucking 60 carbs and that's, you know, where you're at and you're in the depths of your bodybuilding endeavors and it boils over. The reaction is completely different. The way that you handle that is completely different. And if you can't get those, like the, the little things, right? If you can't regulate your day to day and handle your already stressful life, you're not going to be successful going through that journey. Never mind where you're at internally, as far as physiological markers, that's just mindset and stress management right. shit. Yeah. Yeah. I have a funny story about um, food and contest prep and how things are amplified. Cause I'm a really even keeled person. Like I'm very, I'm very calm, very logical, but in contest prep, like, yeah, I'll lose my shit every now and then. And there was one time I was a half an avocado short on a meal <laughs> and I had a half an avocado and I was like, I got pissed. I took the avocado. I threw it against the wall and Jocelyn walks into the kitchen. She goes, ah, making avocado, making guac. I see. And like walked back out and left. And I was like, I was like, God damn it. Like I was so pissed. And now we joke when we're short on food, she goes, just don't make guac against the wall again. Like we always <laughs> joke around because it's, it's so uncharacteristic of me, but it just goes to show like even the calmest people can be pushed to the brink. And if you're not mentally equipped for that and you're having all these outside stressors and they're boiling over you're gonna you're gonna lose your shit and you're never gonna progress you're never gonna get to your end goal and there's a lot of people that just stress about one little thing constantly and never progress like weight for example like they're like oh my weight's not dropping my weight is, weight's not dropping and, and then it starts going up and like what the hell am i doing and they're stressing even more i'm like you're just you're digging your own grave kind of you know yeah and it's one of the things where i have to tell my clients like that's my job to worry about I need you just to execute. Like it's literally a data point. And then of course you have to walk them through on why the scale fluctuates and all that stuff, right? <laughs> Providing education is, is important. But at the end of the day, if they're checking the boxes and, and working hard, and this is one of my favorite, favorite things about check-ins, you don't have to change anything with an athlete who's executing to a standard of excellence. Like if right. they move with intention and they're doing protocols and they're checking the boxes, most of the time it's much of the same, if not adding food, even in the fat loss phase, because they're doing it with such effort and intention mm -hmm. that they are rewarded for that. It's not as hard. And that doesn't mean it's not hard. And I don't want people to take that out of context here, but like when you truly move with intent and you stop worrying about your weight and your measurements and all that shit, if you're working hard in the gym and you're sticking to whole micronutrient dense foods and you're checking the boxes and you're being consistent and you're managing your stress and you're doing all the fundamental things, you're going to progress way more than if you sit there and, oh, fuck, I'm up 0.2 pounds today. What the fuck? Like right, right. it doesn't do anything for you. 
you know, I, I, I like to think that newer coaches have a harder job because they're dealing with these things more on a consistent basis, right? These like mental hurdles people have to go through. Newer coaches have to deal with this or, or people with newer athletes have to deal with this. Whereas I think like, you know, people that are at the top, you know, coaching, you know, your Olympia athletes, like you don't have to tell an Olympia athlete why this is important, right? They know what's, why it's important. They know what's at stake. Like their, their life earnings is at stake. Like it's a little bit more, um, there's a little bit more of a, a driver there. And so when I see like, you know, some of my, even my coaches on my team and what they have to deal with, I'm like, whoo, that was me a while back. That sucked. But I still deal with some things where it's like, wow, this is like, this sucks to have to deal with, but I understand why we deal with it and what needs to happen and the education that kind of needs to take place here. But man, it takes a lot of emotional energy to constantly educate those people and support them when it's so simple and all they need to do is execute and follow the plan. It really, really is. And that's one of the hardest things. And of course, like that's why there's two sides to the story always, right? You see this kind of compare and contrast on Instagram. You have the people that are like, shut up and do the work. And then you have the people that are like, education, education, education. And so I try to kind of ride the midline, right? Education in proper context where it's warranted, but like regurgitating the same shit over and over again, that's just a client not being willing to accept that. And then you have to challenge like where they're at in their journey and if they're really ready for that step, right? Because you can't always be a hand-holding machine. Like that's just not what it is. Um, So it's important to like provide the context, but if you have to regurgitate it over and over again, it's, it's more of a client issue versus a coaching issue at that point. Of course. I think I get, I, I have no, I know some coaches that have given me shit and again, not to my face, but give me shit about caring for my athletes a little bit too much and like holding hands a little bit too much. And I'm like, yeah, but some people need that. Like in order to be successful, there are some people that need that. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. That's just the type of coaching that they need. I can't provide that too you know, all of my athletes, but not all of my athletes need it. There's some of my athletes I talk to once a week and the check is like, yo, just keep going. We're good. Other people require a five minute voice memo, be breaking things down to them. And it comes back to, you know, educate, 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 or just execute, execute. Like there's no, this is the thing about coaching. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. There, there is no blueprint telling you how you have to coach. And, and the- I love that because you would think (laughs) with Instagram comments and stories and the condescending bullshit that (laughs) if you do not follow coaching in this criteria, then you are a shit coach that you don't know what you're doing. That I am, I have, I am, first of all, like who deemed these people top? Like I am self promoted top coach. Like, I don't really know. I think it's, it's one of those things where like who you fall in love with, who you partner your life with, like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So when people talk about coaching, first of all, there's no need for more coaches in the industry, right? Coaching is not at a scarcity. People don't buy coaching. They buy coaches, right? Based on personality, based on what they provide, based on what they value, what they include, like that's, what's important to the client. So making again, blanket statements, isn't providing any context, but it, it will probably likely target the audience that is going to align with your coaching, I guess, like good for you. True. But if you're going to market that way, make sure you deliver, which I, I definitely don't see. And I've been through it on my own as I've kind of navigated my own, who's the best fit for me as a coach kind of thing. Yeah. You, you said it. Um, yeah. I mean, when it comes down to it, like I said, there's no blueprint for this. Um, again, I don't even have like a coaching method. Like people ask me, well, what's your method? I don't have one. Like I work with type one diabetics, all with IFPB pros. That means like I should be pretty versatile. So I don't have one. I'm open to anything. 
what what works what works for you? What are you going to stick to? Like, let's do that. And to say something has to be a certain way, or you won't see progress, or that coach isn't good because they do something that way. Like, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because you're you're claiming to not be adaptable. And if you're not adaptable, well, that means you're not you're you're going to hit a wall eventually, and you're not going to be able to progress any further because you're unwilling to adapt, right? Whereas an adaptable person is always willing to find the next level, always willing to find the next level of knowledge or um, take the athlete to the next level by implementing a new tactic that they learn or try something out. Like that's where the beauty is in coaching, right? And not following the same structured blueprint all the time. And you have, I don't know, you just have a lot of coaches that are just so mm, aggressive on their stance and unwilling to waver, unwilling to adapt. And then you come to find out that they're not even doing what they say. A lot of times that there's just disparity in, in between words and actions. And really the disparity usually falls in athlete care. And then people get mad at me when the athletes come to me and we provide it all. Okay. We, we don't, we, if we have a weakness, I'm going to find out what the weakness is. I'm going to tackle it. For example, I just hired Austin again to be my mentor because I ran into three problems in the past couple of weeks that I ran into. I was like, you know, I'm a little bit stuck on these. I was like, I don't know if I know the answer. I have a suspicion, but I want to know the answer for sure. So I hired Austin again, right? So there goes another, you know, X amount of dollars out the window to find the answer to literally three problems that I could have just say, oh yeah, I'll get it. And then, you know, not live it up and just taking the money, you know, but I put myself now in a deficit for do- of dollars to find the answer to these problems to adapt, to grow, to make sure my word and my actions meet. And I think we're just too caught up in looking a certain way or coaches are look, you know, caught up looking a certain way. Um, and then when things don't go their way, they put other people down. It's like, and this shit doesn't add up to me. Like, that's not what a coach does. That's not what a leader does, right? A leader is specifically supposed to act on a, with a, with a sound moral compass, provide to its people, help make sure other people around them are thriving. And then none of that really adds up. And that's why the industry to me is becoming intolerable and why I don't mess with a lot of coaches anymore. Like there were a lot of coaches I started to get close with. And then I found out they're not the people that said they were, they're not living up and and taking living up to the word and take care of their people. And now their people have come to me with all these problems that I'm fixing or my coaches are fixing. And it's just, it's incredibly frustrating. Like, you know, I've done my best to live in my own universe. Um, and I was telling you this before the podcast, like Shelly and Jocelyn always messing with me. You live in an entirely different universe. You're completely oblivious to everything going around you, but that's on purpose. It's because why would I want to focus on all that bullshit? Like there's a, there's a certain coach um, and I don't even follow them because it's just so annoying now. Like their main tactic and advertisement is putting down athletes and other coaches. That's their main tactic and on their stories and their stories get shared a shit ton because people love controversy. People love that opposing opinion that causes turmoil. And they love drama. People love a storyline. Like they love gossip, but what is it? It's a distraction. Like that's why, I mean, we can break it down to any principle in life. Like when people cope, for example, they they might seek out food. They might seek out alcohol. They might seek out an argument with their spouse because they're pissed off about something, right? People don't cope well and they love distractions to help them cope something else. Right. And so you can create chaos in your life, right? You can create an energy that's negative, right? Because that can drive away the actual personal, maybe reflection times that you need to go through. 
And so I want to circle back for just a second, because there's some things that you said. And like I said, I, I do look up to Mark a lot. And I've, I've told you guys this before on my podcast. Um, and, and these are the reasons why. Number one, and you'll hear me say this all the time, right? I'm not big on social media all the time. Why? Because I'm busy focusing on my people. Mm-hmm. I invest in the people that invest in me. If I have time to do content on social media, of course I'm going to do it. Like I want to help as many people as I can, but I'm focused on investing in my people and taking care of them first, right? That's a priority for me as a coach. When it comes to hiring mentors, I, I've done that, right? I work, I've worked with Sam Miller to get my education around hormone health. Am I someone who deems myself a hormone specialist? Absolutely not. There's so much to learn. It is very intricate. It's, it's complex, right? Yeah. But I continue to invest in that knowledge because I do believe it's important. I do believe as a coach who's working with people to get their bodies to adapt in a negative manner, though important for their, their survival, I'm also responsible to help them get out of that. Right. I do put that on me and that's not every coach does that. But for me in the integrity in which I operate at, like if I'm willing to compromise their health here, I need to be willing to fix it too. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way that I, I believe that we should operate, but you taking the stance and going, you know what? I don't know. And it's going to cost me thousands of dollars to find the answer to these three questions, but I want to know the answers. It's worth it to me to take care of the athlete and say, Hey, hold on. I'm not really sure. Let me ask someone who I know knows. Let me invest in this so I can take care of you because it's not, even though it's only three athletes right now, it might be 30 down the road. Right. And so that whatever X amount of dollars that you have spent, right. Is an investment for you to be able to take care of more people. And then when you come back to coaching should look like X, Y, and Z, or I don't have a coaching blueprint. Well, I can say the same. I get that question all the time. Like, okay, cool. Like what does coaching with you look like? I'm like, well, hold on. Like I'm talking to you. So I have to meet the client where you're at, right? There are some people I have to teach how to track macros. There are some people I have to say, Hey, this is getting too extreme. Like we need to actually focus on flexibility here. Like you're getting too neurotic to the point where it is a little disorder, right? There's obsessions there. And so there's people on both sides of the spectrum. You have to challenge, but you can't do that if you're not willing to open up your bandwidth and be like, okay, like I need to meet them one-on-one. We talk about one-on-one personalized coaching. Like you can't be doing that if you're not actually talking to the client, right? Having those calls, being face-to-face, getting to know them, what they do for a job. Do they have a family? Like what does the stress in their life look like? Like, do you even know the people that you work with or do you just screen their weight, their macros and uh, their goal and just say, Hey, here's your program. Good luck to you. I'll talk to you next week. Right. Send you three numbers and a cardio a mountain supplement list and go, go at it. Use my discount code though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, you know, there's so many positive steps that have been taken in the coaching industry and coaching has come such a long way, even since I started, there's so many positives to really dig out of this, but as things progress and evolve, there's also a lot of negatives that are coming out of it too. And I continue to find this in this conversation really, you know, um, is is shedding some light on some of them and and they're not they're not massive problems but they're becoming massive bigger problems really um and it's becoming popular you know to put down other coaches in order to put themselves ahead and this is becoming very very common and it's funny because i was talking to somebody uh, a coach actually was cameron and we were joking they're like sort of in a way but we were serious and he was like they take shots at you and I was like, send him something. They're like, yeah, he definitely took shots at you. I was like, yeah, it's, it's constant. It's not even like people just love to try to manipulate the audience to get them to believe that they're better than X, Y, Z without proving they're better or without the provability. And I speak about provability because one of my biggest mentors and influences in bodybuilding has been Big E from Rock and Pro. And he says, nothing matters. Your knowledge doesn't mean shit. You know the science, but guess what? I know better because I know the man. 
and I'm, I have proof. It's, there's provability in what I do. And so when I, when I have people that are, you know, saying all these things um, on social media, prove it. Okay. You claim this, prove it. I have proof. Go look at my page. I'll show you, you know, I'll tell you, I, I, you know, it's, it's really frustrating because I've tried so hard to push the industry in a right direction. And then there's just other people that I thought were doing the right thing that are now more egotistical because they've seen a little bit of success. And that becomes really aggravating when I know they're capable of great things. That's, that's the frustrating part about the whole thing. It's hard because it, it is, it's ego. It's first acknowledging that it's your ego. Right. And I think a lot of people struggle to even hold themselves accountable and be like, I need to like swallow my ego a little bit here. Like, you know, I I'm doing things because I made a post about this today. Like we all have a dark side. We all have darkness within us. Like we all have flaws. We have all told a lie. We have all done bad things, right? Like your shit doesn't stink any less than the next person's. And when you can humble yourself and meet someone at their level, regardless of what you would consider bad, evil, whatever, like if you see a coach doing some fucked up shit, instead of being like, Oh, this coach is doing this fucked up shit. Like you're better off reaching out to them being like, Hey, I just want you to know that like, I've seen this a couple of times, whether it's, I got an athlete from you or whatever. Like if you need help in this area, I'd be more than welcome to more than happy to help you here. That's how we change the industry. It's not about isolating one another and pointing the finger and being like, ah, you suck. I'm better. I'm going to do this. Don't work with this person. They're shitty or whatever. Right. That's not doing anything to help anybody. I think Every single coach, obviously, and in any successful team that they have, right, they've gotten there because they've learned certain things, maybe from other people, maybe from other mentors, maybe from other coaches. And the best coaches, in my opinion, are ones that can sit here like we are right now and have an open conversation, right? And talk about things that we know, things that we're seeing, trends that we're seeing, right? How to analyze something, how to work with like you hiring Austin, like, hey, I, I don't, I've never seen this before, right? Can, can you tell me how you would address this so I can learn? And then maybe you pass down knowledge to other people, right? Yeah. That's how you improve the industry. Not by sitting here and shaming anybody or talking down or gossiping like that. While it, it's an entertaining storyline, it's actually not benefiting anybody. No one. And it's funny you mentioned like bringing things up to people that you've seen that are negative and kind of bring it to their attention because you're, you assume they might not be aware. Yeah. You know, there's problems that their athletes are saying things and that you're not doing. And, and maybe they just need more of that thing, whatever it is. And it's funny because I've reached out to some coaches. I've called them on the phone. I'm like, hey, look, I've had like four people inquire with me. This is what's happening. This is what they're saying. And I won't say who they are, but like, this is kind of the problem that they're running into. So I want to let you know, make you aware so you could adjust, you know, and instead of adjusting, they double down, go on their social media or like a podcast and talk shit, you know, or whether it's about the athletes or about me. And I'm like, look, I was trying to help you, but you know, it is what it is. But on the opposite side of the spectrum, you have a lot of these newer coaches that are doing wonderful things and that I collaborate with. I mean, Cameron's one of them, right? Me and Cameron have a call every week. And I, we both talked about this on our episode. He, when he introduced how he just had me, he walked me through like a couple of peaking, um, uh, on some specific athletes that were like either on the pro stage or, or going to a national stage, you know, whatever it was. And dude, my mind exploded. I was like, holy shit. Like I, I get it now because I understand my strength was, I know the science, right. But application, you know, okay. I have put things in application. I found things that work that don't work, but is there better? There's always better. And when he introduced things to me, I was like, oh shit, now I get it. And then all of a sudden, like I put people on stage and it was just crisp peak, crisp peak every time. Meanwhile, on the opposite end of the spectrum, 
right? His functional health knowledge was not adequate. Okay, now it is, right? We invested the time there. And so there was this nice trade-off. And I think there's quite a few coaches that are doing this behind the scenes and I, that I chat with my DMs about things. Uh, I had a coach reach out to me about PED advice and, you know, it was his concern was valid. So I, I gave him my opinion is, I think you're right. We, you know, concluded that, you know, we both made the same conclusion and, you know, it helped out another athlete. That's what it's about. It's about helping the athlete, not the coach. It's what it's supposed to be about. Like this is a service-based industry. What is a service-based industry? Making sure the customer is taken care of. It's not about, it's not, it's not about the producer. It's not a producer industry, right? It's, it's consumer focused. So I just think people have it backwards. And I think a lot of coaches have, have gotten this idea that they're superstars. The athletes are the superstars. You're not the superstar. You're just the, you're just the man behind the curtain. Okay. So I love this. And this is exactly how I phrase it. Cause I think that people really take this the wrong way. Okay. So I actually talked about, uh, this with Jamie DeBernard who works at Fitbody, right. Um, you know, she talks about, it's not about, um, it's not about the coach and it's about building up a reputation for yourself with your athletes. Um, and I talked about this. This is a quote that I use all the time because coaches get it confused. You are in the, the industry to help people, right? You are in the industry where the client is paying for your service, right? So I think we get this backwards when we talk down to clients, like yes. you're supposed to be providing a service for them. Like you would not be here talking to me, having a successful business if you were focused on degrading clients and just taking their money, like they owe you more than that. Like you are providing right. them a service. Like that's people have this so backwards. And the best way that I can phrase this is like, you are not the hero. You're the help, right? The client no. is the hero. They overcome the adversity. They go through the experience in real time and you're there assisting them. Right? So when you sit there and take credit for something that they did, you have this backwards, right? And if you continue to be like, well, I coached that top athlete and I coached that top athlete and I did this for that person and I did that for that person, like in the end, you can lay your head down because you know you did that. Whether or not they acknowledge it, that's their own thing. But right. in the end, like that's their story. That's their journey. And again, like they're the hero, you're the help, right? They hired you for a service. So you talking down to them and telling them that they're, I mean, I hear some horror stories about how somebody would talk to a, just another person, let alone an athlete that's paying you. Like right. I wouldn't talk to somebody like that on the street, like no, telling them that they're lazy, incompetent, stupid, like what, like that breaks my heart. Cause these are just people that are trying to learn and, and seeking out help. Like, and, and not only that, like some of the fees that they pay for that kind of coaching are oh, just, yeah flooring to me unreal i mean don't get me wrong i'm not the cheapest coach on the block i know that um i'll put a lot of effort you know into my coaching in general but uh the pricing of coaching only continues to increase and the issue with the, the issue doesn't lie in if you're if you're taking care of your people and the results the results are are there to speak for it great however if you have this max max exodus of athletes all every time uh, you know, whether it's employees of yourself or it's athletes of yourself, like there's, there's a deeper problem here and you shouldn't be accepting money until you figure out those issues. You know, sorry. My dog is like growling in the background oh, at okay. nothing. He's just sitting there laying there too. Jeez. Oh man. <laughs> um, but no, I, I want to talk about, I want to talk about coaching for a second and, and the okay. price of the coaching. Okay. Cool. Cause I see this and I think it's very important. There are coaches that charge the minimum to maximize their roster. 
right? Yeah. There are those coaches. That's cool. That's their business model. There are coaches that understand their value and understand what value they provide and price that point appropriately. Okay, there are two big ends of the spectrum so that when you see a coach that charges a high price point, right? You go immediately, that's fucked up. They're, they're charging way too much. They're stealing money. They're, this, is, this is a scam, blah, blah, blah. Like you have people like throwing shade at their price point. On the other side of the coin, you have people that are looking for the people that are willing to pay the minimum to maximize their roster to get as many people on stage as they possibly can, right? It's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I, anybody that looks at that and you, you think that those two coaches are even on the same level as far as what they're providing and what they value. Absolutely not. I can tell you on the higher end of the spectrum for me specifically, cause I do, you know, I charge a good amount of money for the value that I provide. I have no problem saying that. Right. I limit my roster. I only take so many people because I know how much work I put in with each client. Right. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the spectrum, if I'm charging less, I could definitely carry a lot more clients, but the feedback and the attention to detail that I'm giving them is going to be a lot less, right? So when it comes to, if you're choosing a coach based on the price point in which they have provided for you, like I would really consider the value of that coaching before you just go, because 90% of the time I'll say 95, probably anytime I leave, I lose a client who goes a cheaper route. They always come back. Yeah. They always come back because it's not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I think I've been really, and I'll touch on that point about price, but I think I've been really um, fortunate in my coaching career because a lot of times when people leave me, it's because they're done like bodybuilding and they're like, they just kind of find that they're not, they're just not in love with the process. Rarely do I have people leaving and go to other coaches. That's, that's like a rarity, which is really cool. I thought it was a really cool point. I mean, it happens. Don't get me wrong. And sometimes I'm just not the right person for the athlete. Like they need more or need something different. I look, I agree. Hey. Go, go knock your socks off. Good luck. I hope you, I wish you the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've had a lot of luck in that department. Not saying it's great that people are leaving bodybuilding, but sometimes they just get their health back and they just don't want to put themselves through that again. It's totally understandable, right? Now, as far as like coaching pricing, I, I've seen coaches in some coaching companies play the numbers game where it's super cheap. And, but what they offer isn't a whole lot. Like when they sign up, you know, they may get a coaching programming, uh, but, or training programming, but it'll be like everyone else's, you know, um, and there's no training review, video review. There's, you know, that that's kind of problematic. And then there's no, when you want a whole new training program or when you need tweaks to your training, you get a whole new program instead of just fine tuning based on what you need specifically. You know, I also see like, you know, for diet, they just get the three numbers, you know, they get their macros or they get the cardio amount and they're sent on their way. And I'm like, okay, like, that's, that's problematic, but for some people, like that's what they want. And that's okay too, because they like the simplification, but when those people play the numbers game and then they're like, well, we're really successful. Look at all of our winners. Well, you put a thousand people on stage, like someone's bound to fucking win. I hope so. Like probability in in terms of probability. And again, I'm not a mathematician. I'm a stupid coach, right? (laughs) You're supposed, you should win. Like you put 60 people in a show, you fucking better win the overall. I would hope. Right. You know, whereas like another coach may bring three athletes and they all place top two. It's like, well, who's, who's got the better winning percentage, you know? And sometimes it is that more expensive coach that takes the extra time to create the programming, you know, where they're tracking all this data and um, you know, the training programming is specifically what that person needs based on biomechanics um, you know, or mechanical advantages. And you know, maybe their diet is laid out in a way where nutrient timing is prioritized and they need specific nutrients. The supplements are laid out, not just like, hey, you could take whatever. 
no, no, I need to take this at this time with this because this helps with absorption. You know what I mean? Like there's so many details you go into. How about your coach tracking body measurements, tracking blood glucose? You know, mm -hmm. if, if we're tracking PEDs, you know, how are you tracking these things? Do you have blood work on file of this athlete? Are you consistently checking up with the blood work on that, that athlete? You know, and then, you know, when it comes to time, you know, and you look at how many people are put on stage, like you have the, the, the numbers game coach where they put, you know, maybe 500 people on stage that year. And you have the coach that only puts a couple people on stage that year. And you look at the overall health of the athletes, you know, which one is better in the end. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, it's the coach doing their due diligence with the blood work and paying attention to all the variables. I'm not saying that playing the numbers game is wrong. Um, I think that there's a better way though. You know, there's a happy medium between the two. Yeah. And this is where, again, it comes down to every coach has their methods. Every coach has their own business model. Every coach has things that they feel are important and things they don't want to touch. Right. And sometimes it, it's that where you live in that world, like ignorance is bliss. I don't want to know if my client's labs are fucked up because I don't want to be responsible for that. So I'm just going to not address it. Right. And I'm not shitting on any coach. This is not me saying any of those things. It is just for the consumer to understand that when you look on social media and a lot of people are like, well, where's the proof? Where's the proof? Where's the proof? If you want to talk about real proof, let's look at all of your athletes. Let's look at all of their markers. And then let's look at the ratios and the percentage of those athletes, right? And, and what you would deem is worthy of being top tier, right? And that's where the coach finds value. Is it in, I worked with thousands of athletes and I have all these pros, but if you looked at their internal health, it's not very good, right? Or is it the coach that works with a small roster, maybe only puts 20 people on stage in an entire year, maybe, right? And all of their, all of their health is in, is in check marks. It's good, right? They're placing, maybe they're not pros, but maybe they also started, like we talked about from, from nowhere, maybe they weren't already competing. Right. And, and that's, that's just the difference in coaching and coaching models and coaching styles and understanding the core values of what you're doing in your coaching business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so when it comes to you, I want to talk about your history in the industry. Yeah. Right? So how long, cause a lot of people will see you now and they'll be like, who is this coach? And I, I always talk about you. So I know my audience follows you, but um, you know, when you, for a lot of people, it feels like you came out of nowhere. You're like, who is Dominic trained? And he's got athletes and now it's being shared. And again, like your stories go around and it's, it's always very well articulated, which I appreciate as a consumer, but you know, where, where did you start and how did you get to here and how much time and effort did you put into that? Man, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of help, like bringing myself up in the industry. I had to do all of that footwork myself. Um, I did, you know, obviously bodybuilding has always been in my life. Um, cause my dad bodybuilded, uh, he was a bodybuilder, I should say, if I can speak properly. Um, and so I learned a lot of training from him. I started personal training people. Um, we, you know, my family owns a gym and I started personal training people like way back. I think like 2008, I was personal training people. It's funny. Cause the, one of the first people I've ever personal trained is my, currently my training partner. <laughs> he's my training partner. He's like one of my best friends now. He's also my photographer that I hired. I bought, bought the camera equipment photographer. It's like, you're the photographer, like learn how to do that. I love yeah. That. Again, it's about bringing people up around you, right? All my friends got to eat too. Um, and so we, we put people in positions to, to make money and feed themselves. But I didn't start online coaching probably till 2013. Again, I had one athlete. It's the first time I put my athlete, uh, athlete on stage. Um, Ben's physique guy peeled. He's one of my college buddies. After that, it was like maybe 2015. I put one of my friends on stage. He was peeled, right? 
And so I just kept putting like one or two people on stage like a year, all the way up until about 2018 when um, Yasmin reached out to me, who's who eventually became pro eight months later. Um, she reached out to me. She's like, hey, you do coach? And I was like, yeah, you know, I only usually coach my friends, but, you know, sure. And then I kept getting more inquiries at the end of 2008. It was like November 2018, all this happened. And then Keely signs on um, in February 2019. She takes second North Americans a couple months later. Right. So I had some initial success right off the bat. Um, I didn't have a lot of athletes though. I didn't know how to advertise. I didn't know how to build a business. I shit, I still wasn't even paying taxes. So if the IRS hears this, sorry guys. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know I did I had no idea this could be what it is today. I had no idea this could be. I was a teacher for six years prior to this, right? I was teaching high school students how to do economics. Um but ultimately, it just came down to every athlete I had, I had a good experience with. There wasn't one athlete that walked away from me saying, that was a terrible experience. That guy's an asshole. Wow, he really screwed me. You know, there was a lot of times where I was saving preps. This is kind of, was, I was saving preps. Um, and honestly, even before 2018, you know, I always noticed that there was just a bunch of health issues in the industry. And I always kind of realized, like, and kind of thought, like, maybe there's, there's got to be a smarter way, right? Smarter way to do this. And so... I kind of dug, dug into the functional health side of things and got some mentors, you know, throughout the process that taught me more about functional health. Um, and so when I did get people like in 2018, I knew how to take a healthier approach that was more about longevity and health instead of putting athletes on stage, winning and then burning out and then never, you know, showing face again. That's not what it was about for me. It's can you go pro and then keep competing as a pro? Because we know there's a lot of people that become pro and never compete again because they're smoked. Yep. So there just had to be a smarter way. And I wanted to do the smarter way, but I found out the smarter way is the harder way and it takes longer. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, the success isn't going to come overnight. Right. You know, I'm going to have a tough time if I do things morally correct and I stick by my ethical and moral guidelines in this process and, you know, don't abuse drugs, treat people right. Um, you know, make the better, smarter business decisions. Even if that means sometimes losing money, I'm going to do that. And that's just the way I have, to, I have to live by that. I have to do things right. Again, I'm the one who determines what's right. So I, I just have the conversation with my mom. I was like, and she was like, I'm really proud of you and what you built. I know how hard you work and so on and so forth. I was like, mom, sometimes I just don't know, like if I'm doing the right thing all the time. And that's really hard for me to accept because I live by doing the right thing, but the right thing's determined by me. So, so it's like kind of skewed. And I was just like, I was like, I hope I'm just always doing the right thing. She's like, stay on the path you're fine. I was like, okay. So, you know, always getting her opinion because it matters to me a lot. You know, that's always really important and keeping those people around me. Um, like, you know, Keely has become one of my best friends. She'll tell me when I'm fucking up. She'll tell me when I'm being an asshole. Shelly, she'll tell me when I'm being an asshole. I have people close to me now that are hypercritical of me. My wife will do the same thing. And I think it's been really important throughout this process of growing because it happens so quick. When people say he kind of came out of nowhere, that's true. You know, I didn't have like this huge upbringing and, and I didn't have people like guiding me uh, in my way in business to build this big business. Literally my big out, my big moment, I would say when people started to really come to me was after 20, right after maybe like fall of like 2019. I just had like this slew of people. Cause I was starting to talk about, Hey, there's a healthier way to prep. I have the proof. Here's the proof. And I presented that. 
a lot of people came to me like in droves. And I was like, holy shit, like business is blowing up from my, my very eyes. I went from 20 people and to the end of 2019, I was at, you know, like 60. And I was like, whoa, like that just happened, you know? And a lot of times those people, I spent a lot of time with them just getting them healthier and they never competed again. That's fine. Some of them did hit the stage, did great. And I just kept having success, treating people right. And then 2020, we really laid the groundwork. Didn't really get to put a lot of people on stage because coronavirus. Um, and then that's where I figured like 2021 is my year. This is the year we're going to put people on stage and I'm going to show you, you know, not you specifically, but everyone that I know what the fuck I'm doing. And I just haven't been talking on my ass for years. And when I did that, you know, um, first show of the year, I put two first time competitors on. They, you know, one wins their class, one wins the novice overall, the other one takes second in wellness, right? Next show, I put a mass monster on stage, a huge ass bodybuilder. He looks fucking shredded. He's peeled, the best shape he's ever been in. And then I put Sabriana on stage, right? She wins the overall in wellness. And then she takes top 10 at junior Nats as a natural wellness athlete in her first time ever, right? And then Shelly and Juliana go on stage. They both went overall at the same show. Okay, shit, we're getting our feet up under us now, you know? And Max wins the overall in bodybuilding. So now I can win overall in bodybuilding. Oh, then Tiffany wins a well, old wellness overall. Oh, okay, we can do wellness overalls too. So, you know, as the year goes on, you start to see a lot more athletes come on stage from a variety of categories, not just a category. You know, Lisa hits the stage as a pro, professional on her pro debut, takes second as a master's uh, as a master's athlete in her at the Hurricane Pro. Beth Hall, I get her. I bring her to her lowest weight, best condition ever in bikini, put her on stage. She doesn't place, but it's her best condition yet. We also find out she has Hashimoto's now. So now we have to completely correct and change the path of how we coach her, right? And so I have I've done that now. We found it, got a diagnosis. We changed her diet. We're going to get better results now. I'll say diet is the biggest thing with autoimmune stuff yeah. for sure. Massive that and intestinal permeability, you know, and then we go to, you know, the only thing I'm really missing here is shit men's physique and maybe another bodybuilder. Right. So we put Dave on Dave on stage. He takes fifth at nationals NPC nationals at middleweight. And he's the most shredded in his class. And then we put Kevin on stage. Kevin then on his men's physique. He gets first call outs at NPC nationals. And it's like, okay, hey, look, that was, yeah, it was year one. I finally got to prove what I can do. Well, 2022 is going to be a huge year for us. I'm very, very excited. Again, I'm a lot of first so time. I'm excited things. for you. Yeah. And now we have other people coming back to the stage improved. You know, we've had the pivot. We had to adapt and make sure they have the other pieces that they needed, you know, to be successful in their division. And so, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm quite new. That's true you know, but I have nine years later though. Like, and I think that's where people, people look at coaches that are deemed top coaches and have all of this equity and time and, you know, pros and all of those things, but they've been doing this for decades. Like I think people forget, and that's why it's really important. I, I would feel, you know, once you are at the top to be humbled because it didn't, you didn't happen overnight. It wasn't because you have this magical method or that your coaching strategies are better than the others. It's because you took the time you, took your knowledge, you applied it, you fucked up, you learned, you took the knowledge that you acquired from that, you fucked up and you learned and you got better at mastering the art of your craft. And that's what over time molds and allows you to progress because you have to be willing to say, I fucked up here. That was not my best. I didn't do my best by those athletes. Like I have had athletes where I was trying to practice things and do things, even with people that were helping, right. Mm -hmm. That now I know we're not best practice. Like 
I have not always been where I am and I have no problem saying that I fucked up. Right. But I think it's important to be able to acknowledge that when you get there and be like, man, I learned a lot. And that's where, again, when it comes to interacting with other coaches, like if you can pass down that knowledge, you're improving what other athletes might go through, because it's not about you as the coach. It's not about right. you. It's about what you do for the industry and the people that you can help. If truly helping people is what you're passionate about. If you're passionate about taking money and growing a business, that's okay. I would, I would encourage you not to be in this right. type of industry, right? <laughs> like that's kind of shitty, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what your MO should be, but these are things that I feel are critically important. And for any coach that's coming up like myself, right? I understand that I've only, I've been coaching since 2018, like business-wise, right? Launched my own company seven months ago. So it's, I know that I have years of work to continue to do to be recognized and respected as a top coach. And I'm okay with that because I fucking love what I do. I'm excited about it. I love to learn. I continue to pursue knowledge, pursue mentors, pursue education, right? To make sure that I'm continuing to sharpen my tools along the way. Well, you know, and when you get to a point now that you're sharpening your tools and you consistently fuck up, which again, I've done so many times, nine years of fuck ups, right? And I still fucked up this year. And in fact, <clears throat> I was, I'm proud of what I did this year. I'm very proud of what we accomplished here. Um, very proud of my athletes. But I also noticed that, um, <clears throat> that I could be better. So what I really did, and I took one whole weekend and I went back through each individual contest prep that I had this year. And I pick them apart and I go, you have to find one thing you could have done better knowing what you know now, because what you know now is drastically different, right? When, when Keely last year, at the end of last year, uh, NBC nationally, she took fifth in her class in bikini and she's about to compete again, but in wellness this year. So we took one, you know, one big massive year to grow here and she grew a ton. And in her post, she goes, I know Mark has grown a ton as a coach this past year. And I can't wait to see what tricks he has up his sleeve now. I'm like, you're right. I, it's, I'm not the same coach as I was last year. I'm not the same coach as I was five months ago. Same. That's, that's what's cool, right? So even you're in this process of refining, you know, your, your skills and your sword and, you know, figuring out what tools are the best with each individual. Um, you know, you, it's fun because you're always going to get better and there's always going to be a better way. But that's also very challenging for some people's egos because understanding that there's always going to be a better way is admitting there's things that are better than you. And that you're not good enough right now. And that is something I've always lived with. And I'm very hard on myself. And sometimes it's led to very depressive episodes for me because I'm so hypercritical because I don't think things are good enough. I, I might be proud of how far I've came, but I also look at how far I still have to go and how many other people are ahead of me. And that can be really discouraging. But all I do is I keep focusing on this athlete right now, today, you know, making sure that when those check-ins were opened up this morning, you know, I put everything I could into each individual check-in. I took the time to make sure my Google Sheets were organized. You know, there's each athlete has a 10-tab Google Sheet form. Same. You know, it's insane. It's, it's absolute madness, right? But I have to do it that way because I have to put in as much effort as I can and be as diligent as I can about, you know, not only just visual assessments, but numerical assessments here and adjusting things for people. So you, it's tough. Coaching's tough. I say it's just the, one of the weirdest jobs because you're never going to be good enough and you're always going to have a different job. You're not doing the same thing every day, even though you are coaching. It's not the same athlete. It's not the same process. At least I hope it's not. 
right? Yeah, and it's not the same problem. It's not the same psychology. It's not the same developmental point. It's not the same. None of it is the same. Every single check-in is very different, which almost like for me, I get, I, we were talking about how you get excited. Like I literally had to like, <laughs> go ahead and like, you know, take a moment outside before I jumped on the podcast. Cause I'm just right. like the adrenaline pumps and you get excited for these people. And even though it's like, it sucks. Cause I want to like, I wish I had the time and the ability to just like talk to them all because it's like, you know, you, you shoot a video and mine are usually anywhere from five to 10 minutes, sometimes depending on the client and what we're going over, especially a health case. But it's just one of those things where you can't allow what works best for you, what works best for your marketing, what works best for things that you've done before, hold you back from adapting into what's best for your client, what's best for where they're going based on what we know. And the thing about, this is why I love anything scientific. This is why I love fitness and health because even though we, people are like research and all that stuff. Yes. And I've worked in research labs. I worked with Dr. Campbell. I know what that looks like. I know where research really goes and it's not in bodybuilding. So you have to take what you know and physiological processes that you understand and then be able to kind of theoretically predict an outcome. Right. And that's where the art of coaching comes in. It's taking what you know and what you've seen and the anecdotal experience that you have and reflecting on clients that you've worked with, reflecting on peaking, reflecting on processes and going, okay, well, actually I missed this right here. But now that I know how this works and the outcome was this, I think if I would have manipulated these variables a little bit better, I would have peaked them better, right? They would have been sharper. They would have been harder, right? Or maybe, you know, just different things that you have to be able to go, that process isn't the best. Like I know coaches, and this is one thing I see a lot, right? Linear loading, only linear peaking works. Like you have to do this. Not every client responds to that. Not every client is really good with a carb load, right? Not every client is great with that. But if that's your system and you're only willing to do it that way, you're not doing the best by that athlete who might do better with dietary fat increases that might do better with a mid load, right? They tighten up after two days after a really high carb day, depending on how, how long it takes for their body to process those things. But if you're stuck in this one way of doing it, and I'm just using that as an example, you're never going to actually build that client who maybe is a national level competitor. Maybe they're right there and they could be a pro. They could be in that middle spot, but they keep getting fourth or fifth, right. third, second. I find that a lot of people that are stuck in their ways is because they don't know any other ways, but they also, that also means if they're relying on ways in quotations, they don't understand the actual processes of what's happening. Right. And so you, you get into the, the conversation now, well, what are they missing? Well, they're missing the understanding of one anatomy and physiology, cellular biology, right? And, you know, dietetics, they're missing all the, and maybe even it would go into enhancements. They're missing the understanding of mechanisms of these performance enhancing drugs. And then you have to take all these things and put them together like a puzzle, right? Which is really hard to do. And if you don't understand absolutely everything about them and the processes and how these things interact, right? In the synergy, you, you're, you're stuck, you're done. You're going to have one way or two ways. And this is what um, is funny because, you know, in coaching, everything is an educated guess based on what you know about, you know, all those categories I listed. That's what it is. Coaching is not, I have this plan. I'm going to use this plan with this athlete. No, the coach coaching is, I have this problem with this athlete. How am I going to solve it? Here's four solutions to this potential problem. What do I think is the best? I'm going to try that. And then I'm going to assess data. And then I'm going to reassess, you know, redraw a hypothesis, 
and then retest again. That's what it is. It is a, you are doing the scientific method over and over and over again. And then you have coaches out there that, you know, will say, well, I don't do anything. It's not educated guessing for me. I know exactly what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm gonna do with my athlete tomorrow that when they check in, you know, athlete A, B, C, D, and F, I have no idea what's gonna happen tomorrow for them. I, I don't know. I'll, I will know once I see the data and then I'll base my assessment on a needs analysis and then make my adjustment. That's yeah, what he is. That's why people always ask me about peaking. What does peaking look like? Well, I don't know. We're, we're not there yet. Like I can give you an idea of what peaking is going to look like. Sure. But it's always going to be based on how did you wake up? How did you sleep? Where is stress? What do we look like? What does your physique look like? Right. And like, that's where a lot of, especially female athletes that I'm sure you've seen this a lot. Like if their weight is up going into peak week or if they grow, their weight is going up during peak week, like they freak out. And I have to oh, remind them we're going for a look. Do you want to be flat and soft on stage because you were afraid to fill out? Like we got to push food here a little bit, right? We want that shape and that tightness. We're not worried about how much you weigh. I promise they're not going to do that. They're not going to make you weigh in for a bikini show. Like they're not doing that. So it's one of those things where understanding not only just what systems you think you can predict work with a certain situation based on what you know on a physiological basis, but what is that client responding to in real time, right? Because even that can change. I've had clients who I will peak, we're on show, and then they do another show four weeks later, and their peak is completely different, way oh. different than it was the first time because they're responding in a different manner based on certain situations and variables that we've changed throughout those four weeks. Mm -hmm. So it always changes. It's never the same, but that's the fun part. Right. That's, that is the fun of it, right? It's constantly a process of learning. And it, it, I can guarantee if someone competes, you know, now when they compete three weeks later, I know their peak's going to be different. It's going to be drastically different. I might use the same food sources because they worked well, or maybe I'll eliminate one because it didn't work well. But the process in which I load them, you know, or manipulate electrolytes or, you know, mess with performance enhancing drugs um, is definitely going to change based on the look that I want to achieve based on the feedback we got from the judge, you know, in that first show. If, if I find that judge to be credible, sometimes I don't find judges feedback to be credible because I've been misled many times. I was told, hey, that girl's too tight and that'd bring her into nationals a little bit fuller, you know, a little bit softer. And they're like, oh, you should have been tighter. Well, fuck, like, <laughs> you know, like give me something here. Um, and so now it's just like, now I study bodybuilding so much to where I don't even like want to know the feedback anymore. Like, because it's just gonna take my mind elsewhere where I don't need it to go. I need to focus on that athlete and what they need and how they look in that moment, you know? That's what I need to base everything on all outside opinions or even my emotions need to leave. <laughs> like they need to be gone. Um, coaching is just a wonderful, wonderful job. I, I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine doing anything else for the rest of my life. I could not. I, waking up and doing something else, I would just, I'd be so lost. I'd be so lost without coaching. And unfulfilled. It's yes. like the most fulfilling and exciting that you're changing someone's fucking life. Like that's an incredible thing. Right. And I just, every day I wake up and I gratitude journal and every day I'm grateful for my business. I'm grateful for my clients. I'm grateful for this opportunity because at the end of the day, the world owes me nothing like literally nothing. Right. I have put in the work to be here. Sure. Like your reputation builds you word of mouth actually matters. Like, I think people forget that too. It's like, there's so many things to that go into that, but you know, this is, this is an incredible opportunity and an incredible industry to be in. And, you know, Mark, I don't want to keep you too long. I've definitely kept you over the hour, but oh, okay. I, I appreciate you coming on and I will oh. definitely plug all of your information and we'll have to do a follow-up based on where you're at this year, but to leave it on a high note, what are your goals for this year? What are you expecting? Because we're definitely going to have to do a reflections podcast and make sure that you manifest the shit out of all that's coming. You know, I've had such a tough time 
coming up with like definitive goals. I don't like to call things before they happen. That's not my, that's not my MO. Like I won't say, Oh, so-and-so is going to win the overall or win the pro card because usually that person doesn't. Right. So I don't, it I don't puts pressure that. on them for sure. It puts a lot of pressure on them and your, your chance and fate. And so what I say is this, I have, you know, my, my goals are really focused more on my team. Um, that goes for my coaches and then building the rosters, because I know if they build the rosters, more people are going to be positively impacted. Um, I would love my roster, you know, to flourish. Obviously it's, it's, it's grown in terms of size. I don't need it to grow any more than that, but I mean, I, the people on the roster, I want to see them be successful. Um, I have quite a few, few people, um, heading to national stage this year, um, you know, going for, or going for overalls. And I, I know we're going to achieve those things. I, it's going to happen. It's, uh, I don't want to say numbers or anything like that. I do have one major goal this year and I want to be, um, I want to have basically a dominant training camp where people can come and stay with me and, you know, eat the way we do train the way we do and just like chop it up, you know, and have a good time with us. And that will be probably ready to fire out the end of summer of 2022. Um, that's something I'm really excited about because I get to know people on a deeper level. I'm friends with a lot of my athletes. A lot of my athletes have become really good friends um, and they come and visit and it's wonderful. Um, so that's something I'm really excited about, but I don't, I don't have any like definitive goals. I just, I just want to keep being better. It's like a continuous thing for me. I'm never really satisfied. So for me, it's just like the team's got to keep growing. We got to win. It's, it's got to happen and it's going to happen. Absolutely. I love that. And I'm very much the same. It's like, I don't necessarily people always ask me where you're going, like, what's next for you? Oh man. And my answer is always like, I stopped planning my life out a long time ago because it, when basketball ended for me and that was like going to be the rest of my life, right. It changed my entire life. Like something could happen today that changes everything. And so like, I want to continue to better myself, to better my team, to better my business, right. And to operate to the standards in which I've outlined for myself and abide by those core values. But other than that, like, I just get excited. Cause I know there's so much, like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know shit. Right. That's one of those <laughs> things that I, I ignorance really is bliss. Cause once you start oh, to realize, yeah. like it starts with the fucking decimals when you think that there's only fucking whole numbers in grade school. And then once you realize they've lied <laughs> to you the whole time, like the rest of it goes out the window, but the same in principles with the shit that we know, like, I know there's so much more knowledge to acquire and be able to apply. Right. Yeah. So my goal is not to just take the knowledge that I have acquired now, but to be able to fucking apply it because knowledge without application doesn't mean shit, honestly. Right. So. Absolutely. Honestly, you know, part of me is scared to, to lay out goals. Um, and, and, and that's me admitting something that I'm actually kind of afraid of. And there's a reason is because we've tried in the past to lay out like certain goals and certain things that we're going to achieve in a certain amount of time. And we end up just blasting through it. The growth has been so exponential in the past two years that I've tried to predict where I'm going to be at in six months. I couldn't, I can't even predict anymore. I used to be able to say, Oh, you know, we'll gain this many athletes probably. And you know, this will be revenue. This will be this and so on and so forth. I can't even tell you anymore. It happens so fast now. It's uh, it's like a blink of an eye and everything changes. My world changes every couple months. And it's been, a, it's thrown me into the fire. It's called forced me to grow a lot. Uh, not only as a coach, but as a person and as a husband, all those things, it's just been, it's been wild. Like the past two years have been insane. I feel like they went by in a blink of an eye. Um, and it's like, I wish time would slow down so I can enjoy some of this a little bit more, but things must move on. You know? Yeah. 
being present is hard, especially as someone who is very goal-driven, like who's very just in the business, wanting it to like, you invest so much in the day-to-day that you forget what day it is half the time. Like I'll look up and it's fucking, for me, it's, it's two 20 in the afternoon, you know, like I feel like I've, I literally start work at 8am and I've just been chilling here doing that, you know, and then talking to you. So, um, I'm excited to see where you go this year and I'm excited to, to see what you produce. Cause I know that it's quality and I know how much you care. I genuinely do. And, and from someone that I, I very much look up to, it's exciting for me to see. So thank that. you. Thank you, Mark, for coming on. And we'll definitely have you back soon. No, thank you so much. This has been a blast. I appreciate it.